Today's episode of the Sidious Mag Podcast on the Sidious Mag Podcast Network is brought to you by The Feed. Once again, everything you need, you can get it at The Feed. That's if you're a runner, cyclist, triathlete, skier, climber, you name it, they are here for you. And their site is more than just a shop. It is a hub to educate you about how to eat smarter, discover new products, and and they recommend what's best for you, your sport, your diet, and your training goals. This week, they're actually running a flash sale on all Morton products. They're 15% off when you use promo code MORTONFLASH15 at checkout. But you can also get an additional 10% off when you use the promo code CITIUS10. That's a total of 25% off on Morton products. That's pretty awesome. Morton is the feed's top-selling drink and gel for endurance athletes. And if you've listened to this podcast for a while, you know that I've been taking it in my races since 2017, and we worked with them before. Um, The world's best athletes are taking it and winning major marathons. I've been taking it, and I've had no problems digesting all the uh, carbs during the races. And that's because Morton is able to deliver a much higher number of carbs than other products as a result of their hydrogel technology that prevents people from getting an upset stomach so you can try it for yourself now and the feed will act really quickly to get you your products simply put they are the best place to learn about and discover all these new products so do it right head on over to thefeed.com and use promo code sidious10 at checkout to save 10 percent off everything store-wide so big ups to the feed and thanks to them for doing a tremendous job sponsoring this podcast My guest for today's episode pretty much needs no introduction since he's been on the show three previous times, maybe four. He holds the record for most appearances on the Cities Mag podcast. It's Northern Arizona elite marathoner Scott Fobble. Yes, the 209 guy who also hosts the Showrunners podcast on the Cities Mag podcast network. If you haven't listened to that yet, check it out. But you can visit CitiusMag.com and then hit the podcast tab. We've got all the information on how to stream it there. Uh, he talks on his show. He talks about movies with other pro runners. There's very little running talk, but it's very fun to hear from your favorite runners as they talk about random movies. My personal favorite episode so far has been the episode that he did with Scott Smith and Steph Bruce uh, on Home Alone. And with the holiday season coming up, definitely recommend that you guys check that one out. So that's Showrunners with Scott Fobble. It's available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast fix. But on this show, we're going to talk about his summer of racing, why maybe it didn't go as great as he had hoped, and how he moved on from that. And very, a very, very early look at the 2020 trials. He's starting to run again every day, and it's still, you know, it's less than 150 days away. It's less than 130 days away. So we're coming up almost on 100 days till the trials in Atlanta. And things are going to be super interesting. So we kind of dissect how he's thinking about that race. Um, and, of course, we're definitely going to talk shoes because shoe talk is what dominated the um, New York City Marathon press conferences. Des Linden had some pretty strong comments um, and so did Jared Ward. And if you subscribe to the City's Mag newsletter, I sent those out last week. Um in an email to everyone who is subscribed. So if you haven't subscribed to the newsletter, you can do that by clicking uh, it in the show notes. It's on MailChimp, so very easy to subscribe. takes literally a minute, so go do that. So yeah, Scott is pretty open about his opinions on uh, footwear and the arms race that pretty much every company has gotten into with Nike. So all that and much, more, much, much more. We talk a little bit about Friday Night Lights and how showrunners might end up doing a little Friday Night 
lights like mini series. So um, lots of good stuff from Scott as always. One last thing before we start the show, if you like what you're hearing, please consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or shout us out on your Instagram stories. We love seeing when people are actively listening to the show and we will repost everyone and ultimately it helps new people discover the show as well. In addition to all that, we also just released some new merchandise. So if you uh, hit the link in the show notes, you can now get a Cities Mag hoodie, uh, a crew neck, a long sleeve shirt. We've got some other merch for the Renters of NYC podcast. We've got Legs Are Feeling Good merch there too. So all of that is in our bonfire shop and you can get there by visiting citiesmag.com and hitting merch. So without further ado, here is Scott Fobble. brings you to new york uh, i'm just just kind of out here doing stuff with hoka doing stuff with my other sponsors polar and goo and just supporting a couple of my teammates who'll be running the race kellen taylor and alephine uh, tulliamuk um, who are both very fit and i think we'll crush it tomorrow uh coming back here a year after you were the second american across the finish line i mean did you envision that you'd have to run another fall marathon or was Boston like so much of a shock to you that it's kind of good that you're out here relaxing nowadays? It's nice to not be, not be running. I mean, I, New York's an amazing race and I will definitely come back and do it again in the future. But, um, you know, like last night I was, all of a sudden it was two in the morning and I was watching basketball and having a beer in the lobby. And, uh, it was nice to not, to be able to do that and not like worry like, oh yeah, well, the race just went down the tubes. Um, so yeah, no, and New York is, is awesome. I'll be out here every, every year I can. I can. Um, it kind of feels like home after writing the book and doing really well at the, at the marathon, and it's something I would love to come back and participate in. What do you think is the most New Yorker quality that you've probably adopted over the years? <laughs> uh, I wouldn't... I don't, I You're don't, calling it a second home. Yeah. yeah, well, all right, maybe not a second home yet. <laughs> I still have a lot of... Uh, oh, I still need to learn a little bit about the New York lifestyle. I don't know. I can't give you a good answer on that. One thing I will say about New York that bothers me a little bit, and I know this is just a tiny little part of the city, and it, you know, it's no big deal. I know the streets run one way, the avenues they go the other way. Why are there numbered streets going in both directions? Like, there's a di- book <laughs> called The Dictionary. It's got a ton of words in it. There, you guys haven't run out of, out of words, no. and I just think one of them should be words. After a while, it does turn into names of, on the streets. And then that's, I think, where people start to get a little bit confused. Yeah. But, uh, so, I mean, what, was, what is the most vivid memory you have from last year's marathon that really, I think, was your favorite part of the race? Uh, maybe not my favorite part of the race, but my most vim- vivid memory was coming out of Brooklyn and into Queens and seeing a woman on the side of the road with a sign that says, welcome to Queens, now get the fuck out. <laughs> and I was like... I guess this is how, I guess this is Queens. We're, we're here. Um, I thought just that was really funny and it was a cool thing to notice on the side of the road. At the time you crossed the finish line, it's a huge PR for you. Uh, was it, if you, get, if you graded yourself on that day, was it an A plus day, A day? What was, what was the feelings coming away from New York? I think it was um, probably, a, probably a B plus. B plus day. I think, you know, as the second American, Jared Ward beat me by four seconds. Would have been really nice to beat him. And, um, you know, I think I was probably in shape to run a little bit faster, didn't quite maximize the day. Could have run maybe in the 211s. Um, and I think 
211's top American, would have been A+. Plus. Um, but B+, plus was great. It was awesome. Yeah. Then you eventually do get Jared in Boston. Yeah. Is this a rivalry that we should be hyping up? Or, I mean, you've got Scott Smith, but it's yeah. like you two were so close in, in New York and in Boston. I guess the difference between my rivalry with Scott and my rivalry with Jared is I respect Jared <laughs> um, very much. I mean, he's the, just the nicest guy and, uh, you know, just a tremendous human being. And it's, uh, you know, every time you race him, you know he's going to absolutely, like, bring it, bring his A game. And so if you're able to even be close to him or, or beat him like I did in Boston, uh, that's huge. That's a big day. And then 209 in Boston, I think we, last time you were on the podcast, it was, it was I think, right after that. And it was just this, it was huge because I, I think it had been a while since any American that wasn't like Galen Rupp. And I think before that it was Meb, who was the last guy to go under 210, or, and Dathan Ritzenhine. Those are some pretty big names. And now you'd added yourself to that list. And for a while, it looked like you, it was only a handful of guys who had the standard. And that was a big deal. Then they changed the rules. What was your reaction to the rules uh, for the trials where they made it a gold label race? What was your reaction to, to that change? Because it kind of made it into an actual race where top three is what mattered again. Yeah, so um, I didn't, I don't think it really affected me at all. Like I, when it was only Jared and I who had the standard, it's not like I would have gone to the race and been like, well, just going to try to finish fifth today. Like, I still, I'm still competitive. I still really want to have a great day and win the race. Like, I want to win the Olympic trials. And that would have been the case whether there were only three guys with a standard or whether the standard didn't matter anymore. Like, that now is the case. Yeah, and I think it was right after that race when, when we last recorded one, it was kind of like you would probably go into your next race probably with a target on your back because you had the standard. Do you still see yourself as one of the, you know, top five guys that people are going to be watching on that day in terms of just like your competition, or do you still see yourself as a little bit of an underdog? Uh, I certainly, certainly hope I, I, I feel like an underdog. Like I know that every single person who makes the Olympic team, um, everyone who gets one of the three spots is going to have to earn it. Like those spots, they're going to need to be earned. Um, so that's kind of the attitude I'm taking in. I think probably on on paper. I am probably going to be considered a favorite, um, but like I don't really care uh, that even when I was not considered a favorite, when I was an underdog and everyone was kind of like, this guy's not that great. No, he's not like, a, uh, not like a top marathoner. Like I didn't care about that either. So it would be pretty um, arrogant and presumptuous to start caring about what other people wrote about me now that they're writing nice things as opposed to when they didn't care. When was the mo was there ever a moment in your career where you saw it, people doubting you the most? Because I mean, like, I'm trying to think. It was like when we watched the 2016 Olympic Trials 10K. No one probably would have picked you to finish fourth in that race. Uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think a lot of that kind of negativity and that sort of storyline generally happens on uh, forums that I, I don't <laughs> read. Um, yeah, that never has never affected me one way or another. Yeah, but in college, I mean, did you see yourself as having a chip on your shoulder coming out of it, like in terms of just, you know, seeking that next step to take your career? Oh, for sure. I mean, I think I've always considered, like I've always felt like I had a chip on my shoulder. So in college, it was really easy because we, I went to the University of Portland. That's 90 miles up the road from the University of Oregon. 
and they're this like big storied program and we kick their ass every year across country <laughs> and we never got the respect we still got recruits asking us if we were d1 so it was really easy to be like yeah like we're really good at this like you guys don't know what you're talking about and then um we, i went to nac elite and a lot of it was was similar you know like um You'll go, like, people will write these, these race previews and they, for a number of reasons, will just basically just favor uh, people from a couple of clubs and one sponsor and they just think that those people are, are the best and will always be the best and it's like, no, like, we're really good too. Like, Alfine Tulumuk has won nine national titles and Kellen Taylor is an animal and Steph is, has been crushing it and yet time and time again we get left out of these, pre these race previews and... Um, my coach, Ben Rosario, who he had to leave, go back to the tech meeting, but he like, makes a point to point that out to us because no matter how well we do, we will be, we're just going to be the underdogs, and we've leaned into that. Since you're not running a fall marathon this year, what is the most imp impressive thing that you've seen from your teammates who are running this weekend in practice? I mean, Kellen uh, has been on another level of late. Um, she has been doing stuff that's it's really messing up my life uh, because I know Ben's going to look at these workouts and think they're all like superhumans. And he's just like, you guys can all do these crazy workouts. Like just change this to guy paces. And she's really making my life hard. Like I know that this next buildup is going to be way harder because Kellen is, has been crushing it. Well, they're all curious. What, what is the workout that comes to mind? She's just been doing this thing or Ben's been having her do this thing where she runs like a really good workout. So instead of doing like 20 by a K, She'll do like 15 by a K, and then at the end, she'll just run a really fast 5K. And I kind of forget what the splits were. Like, you, you've seen some of these workouts, right? There was like yeah, 16. It come up to yeah, mind. so yeah. she's like crushing this 12 by K, and then she just runs like a 16.35K at the end. And it's like, that's so stupid. <laughs> like, knock it off, Kellen. Because, um, like, I don't want to have to do that. I just want to run the Ks and get back in the car and go back to Flagstaff. <laughs> um, but no, she's, she's, been, she's been ripping it. And, and you guys have all your workouts that are public. You've yep. detailed all of them in your book. Do you ever have like this feeling that's like, oh, you know what? People are going to see this and they're going to attempt it themselves, and and they're, it's, they're, it's going to really hurt. Uh, what I mean, do you think there's people out there who are reading this book and just trying to apply it to their own marathon training? And it, I mean, it's just not a one for one translation. Yeah. Do you? Th I mean, do you th have you heard from people being like, you know what? I attempted that one and that one really sucked. Yeah, I mean, I. <laughs> I've, uh, that's kind of, anytime someone tells me that they're like using the plan from inside a marathon, I'm like, well, did you bomb a workout at the same time <laughs> I bombed a workout? Like, is that how you're doing it? Um, and they're usually like, no, but I bombed one the week after or like, no, but I bombed a different one. Um, so I haven't heard like any where they're like, man, that one, I just could not get through it. I think a lot of it is because, you know, you can adjust the paces. Like, I don't think anyone who is getting ready to run 212 is just like, I'm just going to do exactly what Scott did. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Is reading it a year later different than, the, than how you felt while you were writing it? I'm going to be honest, I haven't, I haven't reread it. You haven't reread no, it? No, I wrote it and we edited the shit out of it. And once I put it out, I was like, okay, I kind of want to be done with this. I want to put, um, put this in its own little basket and promote, we can promote it and we'll go um, place to place. And so I've read a couple of chapters. I read one chapter about the day before the race uh, just today at a, at a reading and a signing, and I read, I've read this chapter about a crazy workout that um, Jared and I did, Jared Ward and I did in the summer before the race. And other than that, I haven't read, read the rest of it. What was the hardest part to write? 
Um, I wrote about like having basically like a panic attack right before and kind of during a workout in the book. Um, and I didn't like when I was writing it, I didn't want to put it in because I was like, like for a lot of reasons, you, um, it was just hard. It was hard to feel like vulnerable on something that I hoped would be read by a ton of people. Um, and, but I was kind of like, look, I set out to do this. I want to do it the right way. Like I want to put this in. I don't want to like edit myself, edit this to, um, make myself look better or cooler or stronger. Like I made a, made it a point to leave those things in because taking them out is it's kind of bullshit. Like that's lying to people. Um, to say that this is the story when it's actually not the story. So I would say that that was the hardest part, just convincing myself to put that paragraph on the page. Have other pros or teammates said anything about, I mean, anything that stood out to them from, you know, picking it up or just, you know, flipping through it? Um, I mean, I think the thing, the biggest workout in the book is something that gets commented a lot. We do, at one point in the book, we do 12 by mile, kind of getting faster, and I close it in, like, 434. So um, I think that's the one that people, people mention the most. And uh, did you try to replicate something like that before Boston? Or? Uh, yes and no. I mean, it was a similar plan, um, but a lot of tweaks, a lot of more Boston-specific stuff. So going up and down a lot more hills, especially downhills. Um, and just, like, the kind of the timing of it was different. And before Boston, it was a lot more condensed as opposed to, like, the really hard training in, inside a marathon was over, like, two or three months. And before Boston, it was really only, like, six weeks of really, really hard stuff. Um, so that was a little bit different. And then, yeah, but other than that, it was, it was very similar. A couple workouts got changed, but... And I guess it hasn't officially started just yet, right? You're training for the trials, or has it? Yeah, I mean, I, I ran every day this week for the first time in three weeks or so. Um, so I guess if that's training for the trials, that's, that's where we're at. Yeah. And are you expecting it to be similar to Boston or New York in terms of just, like, the plan that you're going to follow? I think the plan from Ben, and I haven't, I've kind of made it a point not to talk about it with him yet. Like, I want to get back to Flagstaff, like, in the, the next couple of weeks and then kind of go over what the plan's going to look like. But I think it's going to be even more condensed. I mean, I think we're like 17 or 18 weeks out now. Um, probably won't start workouts for another two weeks. So that'll be, you know, 15-ish weeks of workouts. And I think the hard stuff will all be in the last month or six weeks or seven weeks. And we'll have some introductory workouts leading into that. So just a really condensed segment where six or seven weeks are just going to be really, really hard. Yeah. And are you, are you, do you, how do you, I guess, like, picture this race, and how many scenarios do you play out in your mind right now? And, and is it just going to be, like, in the month or so leading up to the race, are you just kind of just, like, looking up at other people's results and saying, like, okay, this guy might take it out really hard? Or, like, what are you, what are you thinking right now, and how, how much does it get into your head as it gets closer, you think? Um, yeah, I mean, it's certainly something that has been, like, a big motivator for me of late. I've been having to, just been kind of dealing with um, a hamstring issue that turned into kind of like a back issue that was also a hip issue, and feel like we got that squared away, but I, I've been having to do a lot of rehab on it and a lot of strengthening, and it's like, sometimes I don't want to do like a third set of 25 clamshells, but like I know that I have to, and so, um, so like thinking about like the last, there's like a 180 degree turn with 2.2 miles to go, and 
like imagining taking the lead off the back of the turn and pressing up the hill has um, has been motivating. In terms of what the ra- how the race is actually going to play out, I have no idea. I have literally no idea. Um, I haven't even I haven't seen the course. Uh, we're going to go down in November, but it's hard to picture when there's not when you haven't like actually seen the roads and. Who knows who will be on the start line and what kind of fitness they'll be in. But your coach Ben has been on the course, right? I don't. I don't think he has oh, either. He hasn't? But he's. Um, I mean, you know, he's obviously studied the the elevation charts yeah. and the course map and stuff. But um, no, I don't. I don't think any of us have been on the course. And you, are you expecting it to be tougher than Boston in terms of just like with the hills? That's yeah. what I think. What everyone is talking about. Yeah, I mean, Boston's downhill. Yeah, like. <laughs> Um, most like you drop what three or five hundred feet or something like that, and I think based on the charts I've seen, and the course has changed a bunch yeah. of times, so I don't know if this is one hundred percent accurate. But um, at one point, the course basically had thirteen hundred feet of drop and thirteen hundred feet of gain, and that's about as much drop as in Boston, but it's over basically half the distance because you have to go back up as yeah. well. Um, so it should be very hilly, very hard. Do you think if you would have told uh, Scott Fobble at the 16 trials that four years later he'd be competing in the marathon like it just would have made sense in terms of just like the way your career trajectory shaped out yeah I think it would have like Ben and I considered debuting at the marathon in 2016 yeah. um, decided it was I wasn't entirely enthused about doing it at that point but I knew that's where I was going I knew that's where I was going to have the most success what my best event was going to be so did high school Fobble envisioned himself as a marathoner? Yeah, well, high school Fobble wanted to be a miler and did everything he could to be a miler, but um, apparently closing down the miles in, you know, 45 seconds for the last 300 doesn't, doesn't get you very far now that these guys are running like 39 and 38 seconds and um, running the low 330s, which is uh, out of my ability range. Um, so I think if that wasn't the case, he would want to be a 5K guy and yeah. crush that, but... Um, but no, I think high school Scott just thought I would have had a couple of world records by now, probably. <laughs> yeah. uh, so you, you mentioned, I guess, your, your summer a bit. What, but I, I think what's all, I'm always curious is like, we, uh, like members of the media will see you at Boston after the race, you have a press conference. Then after that, how do you celebrate a 209? Uh, <laughs> I took two weeks off. Uh, I drank a lot, had a lot of beers. Um, Got really into the Bloody Mary scene in North Portland. <laughs> and um, then just slowly started coming back. You know, I was, tried to, after the two weeks off, I tried to just return back to the same process that I've always had, where it's like, I'm still an underdog. I'm still, I have a chip on my shoulder. I still feel like I'm pretty gritty. Um, so, yeah, it's like you have your good, your fun, and then you kind of go back to what you feel like works. And is putting races on the calendar for the summer difficult, or what was that? What was that process like? And then, when they don't go according to plan, you decide to, I guess, kind of like shorten your the yeah. the, the the summer season that you were having. Uh, so I mean, like, what what went into into those plans? Yeah. So I after Boston, I really wanted to race a ton. I just wanted to go to these cool races, and ultimately, I was hoping to culminate my season at like the Valencia Half Marathon, which is very flat, fast course, and. Um, Went to Beach to Beacon, went really well. I was sixth, sixth overall, top American there. Um, was hoping to kind of carry that into Falmouth, but honestly, like training hadn't been going great. Like for whatever reason, I was physically okay, but the um, 
for I just wasn't running as fast as I should have been. Like I felt off in some way, um, and we couldn't really put my finger or put our finger on it. Supposed to go to Falmouth, got sick. That was a really big bummer. I, that race is awesome. Then went to the 20k champs and had like a little. It was like a hamstring back kind of spasm at around seven miles and had to drop out. And then I honestly got in a pretty good month of training, but my body still wasn't 100% right. I went to the 10 mile and just had a rough day. Yeah. Um, and I finished like 11th, which is like nine spots worse than my um, worst finish at a U.S. championships. So um, how'd you deal with that? And like, how do you put that behind you? Yeah, I mean, I, I was just like, we need to figure this out now. And so it became like my new goal became figuring out like what the issue was. And um, so I went and saw you know, a bunch of doctors, went and did a bunch of tests, like physical therapists, chiropractors, um, did a bunch of like gait analysis tests and stuff. And um, now I'm doing all the rehab that's kind of stemmed from that. Yeah. And I guess, so I mean, where, where are you at right now? Would you say 90%, 80%? Um, I think in terms of my physical health, I'm at 100%. Like I'm not injured. My hamstring that was bothering me for a long time, it, it doesn't hurt in the mornings. I can sit for long periods of time um, on it without it like, getting really tight. But yeah, so I think I'm at 100% there in terms of like, what my fitness is at. It's not great. You know? <laughs> I mean, I just took two weeks off and I'm slowly building back into it. And like I said, this week I ran every day and that was a step forward in training. So um, you know, I ran like 50, well, no, not even. I ran like 40 miles this week, so. As runners, we all know that something like chafing is the last thing you want to experience and hold you back from the, being the best version of yourself. That sweat, friction, and raw skin, it's the worst, and it could happen anytime. It could happen during a long run, during a race, and things will go south very quick. Your race could be ruined. Your day could be ruined. A small company based out of Flagstaff has stepped it up and tried to salvage all of that. Squirrel's Nut Butter brings you all-natural anti-chafe products that have been tested with some of the world's best marathoners, cyclists, mountain bikers, triathletes, and hikers. I'm talking someone like friend of the pod Jim Walmsley uses this during his big races. And now it's your turn. Stop the chafing and try it out now. My listeners can get it for 20% off all the products by Squirrels Nut Butter by visiting squirrelsnutbutter.com and using promo code CITIUS20. I highly recommend it. You'll thank me later. There will be no crying in the showers because of chafing. Squirrelsnutbutter.com, promo code Sidious20. And then as you're kind of sitting some time off and uh, injured for a bit, you're watching all these crazy performances happen on the roads, especially I think within the last month. You've got Kipchoge becoming the first man to break under, uh, break two hours in a marathon in an exhibition. And then you see the women's marathon world record go down. And all of a sudden, it's just this huge, enormous shoe debate that has been dominating the sport within the past two weeks. Where do you kind of stand on everything that's been going on? <laughs> uh, man, that's broad. Um, <laughs> well, the shoes, let's, let's deal with that first. Uh, we are in the Hoka One One pop-up booth. Um, everyone has been touting this Nike shoe with the carbon plate. And Hoka has two shoes with carbon plate that I think you guys would all really like and check, should check out. One is the Carbon X, which I am wearing at the moment. The other one is the Carbon Rocket, which I don't see on the, sh the wall, but that's the one I wore in Boston, ran 209 in it. And frankly, I think there's this, 
thing that happened where Nike is, is good at marketing. And so everyone is like, oh, this is the shoe we need. This is the shoe that uh, is so much faster. But um, like every running shoe company has a shoe with a carbon plate in it. Like I'm not, I've never seen any conclusive evidence that this shoe, that their shoe is better than our shoe by any means. Um, and I think innovation is part of the sport. There's this idea that we should ban carbon plates or something like that. And that's unrealistic to me. Um, innovation is part of sports. It's part of where everyone's always looking to innovate. And frankly, I think it's a good thing. And even if there is some sort of ban or regulation on technology, I feel 100% confident that Hoka will have a shoe that, um, that meets all those requirements and also is uh, just as good as the, the best performing shoe, if not better. So. I, and the question, I guess, that was asked at the press conferences that really caught my attention with someone like Jared and Des was like, do you, do you feel it's a level playing field right now? I mean, yeah, I, I do, personally. I mean, you see all these... One thing that I, I don't really care for in terms of the way people interpret these impressive results is like, everyone's like, oh, look, it's like all Nike athletes that are doing, that are running really amazing. It's like, well, like Nike has a massive budget and these people would be Nike athletes no matter what shoe they were wearing. Like... They've always had put a ton of money into elite athletes. You know, like Kinesi Bekele, for example, he broke the 5K and 10K world record back in the early 2000s or late 90s. He was a Nike athlete then too. You know, like Kipchoge has been a Nike athlete for a really long time and he's been awesome for a really long time. Like if you would have told me, uh, like that's, I think people are missing that. Like just because they're running these well, so well in these shoes doesn't, mean that it's because of these shoots. It's because they're awesome runners. Like Jeffrey Kimura is a distance running god. Of course, he's, he's really good at the half marathon. Yeah. What, what, like, what did you expect? Um, so, yeah. And then I guess like, where, I mean, do you, what, what do you think could be like a, I mean, the IAAF is reviewing everything. Yeah. And th I mean, there's talk about like maybe a stack height rule, like a limit. I mean, is that something, do you see that as a fix for what's going on? I mean, is this going to get crazier? I I have no idea. I mean, I yeah, it'll probably get crazier until it gets regulated or I'm I would be skeptical that it would ever actually get regulated in a meaningful way. I just think there's obviously the IAAF has a lot of intertwining strings with some of the big companies that make shoes with carbon plates in them. Um and we don't have to get into all the behind the scene politics of the IAAF. That would be a 7-hour podcast. Uh that would take us it would be like the that meme from Always Sunny where Charlie's got those strings and his Pepe Silvia <laughs> is written on there. It'd be wild. It'd be, it would take too long. So um, I just think that connection is, is too strong to have any meaningful regulation. And frankly, like, I, don't, I don't think it matters too much. Uh, another thing I guess that happened on the, uh, on the marathon scene is, I mean, Leonard Career runs 207. For a while, you were just the top American. For, and then Leonard Career comes out, runs 207. So is this men's race at the trials as wide open as everyone thinks? Yeah, I think so. I mean, not just Lenny running so well, but we saw a whole host of guys running super awesome in Chicago. And um, yeah, I mean, it, there's probably 20 guys you could make a case for to make the team. And I think that's awesome also. That'll be really cool to see... Um, to just see a big pack up there. And it's, like I said earlier, it's a spot that's going to have to be earned. It seems dumb to ask, but that doesn't make you nervous, right? No, I mean, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm very confident in myself, and I've always been confident in myself, and I feel like if I run to the best of my abilities, then the results are going to be what they are. If I run, train really well, run really tough on race day, 
and three people beat me, three people beat me. So be it. Um, I can live with those results knowing that I, as long as I know that I did the best that I can do. Because um, there's nothing, there would, if that happens, there's nothing else I could have done. Is the women's race more wide open, you think? Um, no, I think it's equally, probably less wide open. I think there's a gap between women on the, uh, I think w the American women have run so well at the top that there's like six or seven women who are just lights out. And then there's a huge, kind of a, a large gap down to the next kind of tier who are really good runners, but maybe are like two, 29 to 30 women when we've got a lot of women who have run to 21 to 22 Emily Sisson debuted in 223 you know like those women are so elite that it's just it's hard to to catch them so it's probably six or seven women that will make up the three spots while on the men's side it's maybe uh 10 or 15 guys who have a shot so I mean going into 2020 what's aside from the trials what is the most uh exciting thing that you're looking forward to in the sport um, you know, I think like Hoka has been doing a lot of really awesome things. You see, um, they're just getting really good at doing events like this and having this awesome pop-up. So I think that's something that I'm very interested in being a part of. And it's awesome that uh, we can partner with a brand like that. Um, so obviously Hoka, got to continue to keep them happy. Thank you, Hoka. Um, <laughs> and thank you for hosting this. Um, I, uh, you know, obviously one of the big ones would be the impending race between Kipchoge and um, Bekele at London. They're both going to take just massive, massive appearance fees and duke it out. Yeah, probably. Um, and then I think the sport is in a really cool place where there are a lot of really interesting and creative storytellers. Um, you know, Tim Jeffries, for example, who's in the crowd now, just put out the, his film about Ryan Hall. Um, RJ McNichols has done a bunch of these Sidious documentaries. Um, you know, two, my two good friends from Flagstaff, Stephen Kirsch and Ryan Sterner, just really good, <laughs> really good uh, creative people who are in the sport and like documenting the sport in a really professional and, and unique way. I think that's one thing that I'm looking forward to. And you've also got your own podcast too. I do, yeah. Showrunners podcast where I just talk about movies with my friends. So if you, it, who is the one guest you would want and what movie, I mean, it's up to them. Yeah. That's your policy. Mm -hmm. But who's the one guest you would want? Well, I, Kipchoge doesn't watch movies, by the way. That's fine. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, before I answer that, I, we've got a banger coming out. The next, the last one I just recorded was uh, with Kate Grace and we did Pulp Fiction. So, wow. yeah, it's like <laughs> 80 minutes of just talking about Pulp Fiction. Um, did a ton of research for it. By far the most prepared I've been for one of those. Um, let's see. What movie? I've re I really want to do the TV show Friday Night Lights. I mean, not, sorry, the movie Friday Night Lights, and we can talk about the TV show as well. I think that would be my, if I could, could choose one to do that with. Who would I want to do that with? Um, someone really smart. Honestly, I would talk about that movie with anyone. We could talk about that movie right now. I have a lot of thoughts. Yeah? Um, What's better, TV show or movie? Uh, in terms of like a work of art, I think it's definitely the movie, which is actually based on a book as well. Yeah. In terms of like the wild craziness of just the it's the TV show. It's the TV show. Yeah. Like in one season, you get the star quarterback paralyzed. His girlfriend cheats on him with his best friend. <laughs> then his best friend starts hooking up with a thirty-year-old neighbor. This kid's a sophomore, by the way. Smash <laughs> takes steroids. 
Um, the coach is a racist. The star defensive player beats up a kind of nerdy kid. That's like five episodes. It's a 22-episode <laughs> season. There's like 17 plots that could have been an entire movie. Um, so I think in terms of just like rewatchable weirdness, it's definitely the TV show. I mean, we could just do five episodes, one per That's true. season. So yeah. we could, we could, we'll figure that out. All right, yeah. <laughs> Showrunners are just going to take a break, and we'll just come out with a very deep dive into Friday Night Lights, the TV show. It'll just be me rambling in my bedroom with my laptop in front of me. <laughs> um, last thing, I guess, you were, you were uh, out and about yesterday trying out a bunch of burrito spots. What was your favorite? Or, like, did you find a good one? Uh, yeah, so we swung. I was doing a little activation with uh, one of my sponsors, Polar Global, and we did, um, we went to Awaka Taqueria and uh, Diana's Taqueria. And I think, you know, I think I got to give it to Awaka. Because okay. it didn't have a sign out front. It <laughs> oh, just had a... a great sign. Yeah, it just had a, like, it just had a logo on a thing that came out of the, the wall. Yeah. But there was no, there was no signage there. Like, it could have just been a piece of street art. But no one would have known about the, the beautiful burrito inside. Yeah. Um, which is, is kind of a metaphor for burritos as well. Like, you're looking at it and it's just a tortilla and you don't know what kind of magic <laughs> is inside of it. Um, so I thought, it was, I thought that one probably gets, takes the cake. Awesome. All right, well, now we'll, we'll open up the floor for questions. So if anyone has anything, just raise your hand and I'll just pick them up. Um, I just think I could have caught, like, felt a little bit better, caught a better day in terms of, like, how I was feeling inside. Yeah, I don't think there, like, I made any mistakes. I just didn't feel as good as I could have and, I guess, hoped to. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it was about a half mile from the Javits Center. Yeah. Yeah. Friday Night movie Um, I would li- love to say Tim Riggins. I would. Um, I would say I'd say I've got a little Matt Saracen in me, though. You know, I think I'm like kind of gritty. Uh, like, he is, is talented and he's he's tough, but he's in a kind of an unconventional way. So I'd say I'd say probably Matt Saracen. Yeah. What else we got? Has your uh answer to funniest drug testing story changed in the past like year um let's see funniest drug testing story yeah no i mean i they're all pretty normal i don't really? know yeah. you've never had like a an encounter where someone like has come in and had to sit with you for like through a i mean i, I just taped one with jenny simpson she watched one uh, presidential debate with her drug wow testers. um no i mean i've are you just good at going when they when they ask? <laughs> yeah, I can usually pee pretty fast. Um, no, I don't know. It's like they come in and they kind of look at your wiener while you pee in a jar, and uh, then you pour it into a different jar. And I don't know. It's not. It's not like that. Like wild, I guess. Like <laughs> it's pretty underwhelming. Um, just mostly kind of just like a hassle. You're just good at it, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I'm, just, I'm just good at taking drug tests. <laughs> What's up? Well, so I, I understand your question, and I want to take it a different way. So if I could just reallocate 
my talent to a different sport. Be like, okay, I'm this good at running. I just want to be the same goodness at a different sport. It would be golf, 100%. Absolutely. There's not even a question in my mind. They make so much money for such an enjoyable activity. <laughs> um, so it'd be, and you can choose when you go. It's not like baseball where you're on the road eight months a year. Um, but in terms of something I actually think I could have been good at, um, I don't know. You know, I played a lot of sports, and there's a reason that I stopped playing those sports. <laughs> like, I played rugby until I got knocked out by uh, Taj coming around the, coming around the scrum. Um, I played soccer until it was like, yeah, you're not really big enough. Um, played basketball until, like, diving on the floor and being a hustle player doesn't cut it anymore. So, um, you know, at some point you got to learn how to take a jump shot, and that was a skill I never picked up. So, uh, yeah, I wish. I wish that there was an o- another cool sport that I could play. Oh, here. No, let's oh, go over here. Yeah. Yeah. What was your rugby position? I was the, um, the scrum half, which is, for those of you who don't know, uh, the scrum is when the guys hit shoulders, and then they put, the scrum half puts the ball in, and then he runs around the back, and he tries to get the ball out um, from the guys in front. They kind of kick the ball back. And I think the coach put me there because it was the, I was the smallest on the team by quite a bit, and uh, that was the position he thought I was least likely to get hit. And we had a bunch of fancy plays, which was just like, they all, were just all um, code for like, get the ball to Chris, who is by far the most athletic and hardest to tackle. Um, so it was like one, which is like two passes over to Chris. And then two was one, one pass over to Chris. Um, and then one time, uh, the other team's scrum half realized that he was going to, uh, the ball was going to come out to me, and he just ripped right around the scrum, and he knocked me out cold. And I think that was <laughs> probably the end of the, the rugby career. My second favorite running book. Is that, is that your first? Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, my own book that I haven't reread is not number one. Um, so I guess my, my first favorite book, running book, I really liked um, Running with the Buffaloes. And I felt like people misread that. Because everyone thought, like, that was a great recruiting tool. And when I read it, I was like, everyone is sick or injured the entire season. <laughs> yeah. This does not seem... Like, fun. These guys are running so much that they're just like, they just all have colds the whole season. Um, next favorite running book, uh, Best Efforts, oh. which is, you know, it's a Can't good one. Um, I think it's really well done. Really interesting. Yeah. Awesome. All right. I think, oh, yep. Do you have a favorite genre of music or any pre-race rituals or do you meditate? I do, yeah. I meditate every day. Um, and then usually on a race like New York, you're on a bus and takes you over the start line. So I just sit down, close my eyes for 20 minutes. I use Headspace and then just kind of run through my daily meditation. Um, in terms of favorite music, uh, I would say like Americana, like Jason Isbell, um, Lucero, uh, Drive By Truckers, that kind of, yeah. yeah. Cool, cool. I think we probably won't go all out at it, but we're going to go down to Phoenix and maybe do Rock and Roll Arizona. That's not set in stone, but that's about six weeks out from the trials, so um, that's probably what we'll, what we'll do. Awesome. I think that does it. We got oh, one, one more. Are you writing the questions, <laughs> your questions down? Okay. <laughs> worst running dream? Yeah. Um, I used to get this weird dream when I would get fevers. Like when you're a kid, you know, you get like a, a dream when you're sick and you know, it's the same dream and it's scary. 
And uh, it was like, you know that scene in Indiana Jones where he's running down the tunnel and there's the ball that's the perfect size of the tunnel and he can't get out and it's chasing him? So I would have that and I would run and run and run and for some reason there was an evil twin version of me who was laughing at me from the outside <laughs> of the tunnel. It was a big glass tunnel. And right as I got to the end of the tunnel, I would turn around and the ball was about to crush me and then I would just start over. And I would just do that for six to eight hours when I was sleeping. Yeah. Yeah, it was terrifying. Um, yeah. Well, you know, I, I don't get sick as much, but um, yeah. No, I don't, I don't have that dream too often. Awesome. Well, I think that does it. I think Scott will be around signing more books uh, yep. in the back. Uh, but yeah, thanks guys for coming out. Thanks to Hoka for having us. And I hope you guys really enjoy this one. A, and thanks, Scott, for, for taking the time for this. Thank you so much for having me, Chris. That's all for me on this episode of the podcast. Thanks to Scott for taking the time for it. Next week, we've got a really, really special episode. It's big. The guest is big. So stay tuned for that special guest. It's one of my favorite shows that I've recorded in the 140-plus episode history of this show. So can't wait to release that one. And if you listen to and enjoy this episode, give us a shout out on your Instagram stories or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps new people discover the show. And many thanks to The Feed and Squirrels Nut Butter for all their support. Head over to thefeed.com and you can get a box curated by yours truly by visiting thefeed.com slash Mag, or just use promo code Sidious10 to save up 10% off all their products in their store. And they've got lots of products, so check it out. Squirrels Nut Butter, 20% off all their products. If you visit them and hit promo code Sidious20 at checkout, squirrelsnutbutter.com. Stop the chafing. All these details are in the show notes. Support the sponsors who help support the Sidious Mag podcast. I've been your host, Chris Chavez, wishing you some happy and healthy running. And don't forget, go visit the Sidious Mag shop and pick yourself up a legs are feeling good sweater or a Sidious Mag sweater. The merch is hot.